Hello, it's Wednesday the 6th of December. I'm Andrew Harrison. Christmas is coming and the goose is getting cancelled. Welcome to Papercuts, the unforgiving Santa's grotto of the British press, where we're making a list, we're checking it twice, and we're sitting the papers down to work out who's naughty and nice. Naughty, the Telegraph, Mail, and especially The Sun. Nice, well, none of them really, but at least the star has a way with an amusing pigeon photograph. Before we hand out the lumps of coal, here are the headlines for today's show. Don't blame me, I was only the Prime Minister. Boris Johnson gets his excuses in early before he faces the COVID inquiry. Can you booze like a boomer? The iPaper tries the old, can you drink like the old people story, this time with a Gen Z reporter. And winter blunderland. The season of god-awful municipal Christmas displays is upon us, and first over the line is Walsall. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we're equally happy to knock out a thousand words on how to have the perfect Christmas and why you're a failure if you don't, or why don't they have a proper war on Christmas like we used to have when I was a kid. Either is good. And by the way, any newspaper thinking of using the headline, I'm dreaming of a woke Christmas, well, we've done it so you can't. I'm your host, Andrew Harrison. And before we start, a message for listener Alan's secret surname, who emailed us asking us why we never do anything on the Daily Express. The answer is not because it's a horrible Brexit fanzine for angry pensioners. It's because it's so boring and there's never anything original in it. So up your game, the Express. Now let's meet the panel. She's the morning editor of Katie Couric. She writes columns for CNN and she exists on only 14 minutes sleep a week. It's Holly Thomas. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> yes, uh, good morning, Holly. Good morning. It's a, uh, what? Oh God. Where am I? Who, who am I? Also with us is comedian, writer of the Roger LaCarrie books and a man who has claimed the rest is music, the rest is food and the rest is podcasts. Just to piss off Gary Lineker, Fergus Craig. Good morning, Fergus. Hello. So, right, let's get through the front pages. Holly, you've got uh, you've got all Rwanda, haven't you? Yes, we've got a variety of takes on Rwanda, it's fair to say. Um, so the Daily Telegraph is going with ministers threatened to quit over Rwanda flights law. Um, it says 10 senior Tories prepare to resign if PM presses ahead with hardline plan. This is the one nation. These are the, these are the lefty Tories, the supposed yes. lefty Tories. Yes, yes, the lefty Tories. We, we all know them, right? Millions of them, <laughs> the, yes. The famous lefty Tories. Um, and then the Guardian, uh, it's leading with apocalyptic conditions in Gaza blocking aid. Um, but then also at the bottom, we have a, a slightly different take on uh, the Rwanda uh, story, which is Tory right in threat to Sunak on Rwanda, um, which is about Tory MPs being at loggerheads. Um, many of them, of course, saying it's too hard. Uh, sorry, it's not harsh enough. So the Tory, the Tory right is saying you need to make this more horrible and the Tory left is saying you need to make this less horrible. Exactly. Does the Times have a take on this at all? It does. Um, the Times uh, has Sunak's middle way on Rwanda. Um, migration law will seek to allay, allay Tory fears over human rights. PM has w- ruled out withdrawing from European Convention. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say we're, we're lacking some certainty yeah. on uh, where Sunak's going with this. The Times is very much balancing its meds there. It's not looking like a scenario in which Sunak can come out winning. Um, someone's going to be pissed off yeah. at the end of this. And the, it's not exactly front page, but there's a connected story in the Times on page seven about the, the new plans for um, the new salary threshold, which is particularly unpleasant. 
yeah, it's it's very, very grim. So under the current rules, um, skilled workers can come over and bring partners if they earn at least, I think it's something like 18 grand. Yeah. Under new uh, proposed rules, that would be more than doubled uh, to a combined income of 38 grand, essentially ruling out a lot of couples from coming to the UK together to work. So people, th- this legislation will affect who people can be with romantically. Yeah. Um, yeah, so incredibly inhumane. And the headline is weddings set to be called off because of new salary threshold. Yes. Yeah, in in continuing the cruelty is the point news. Fergus, you had some thoughts on Rwanda? Yes, I, I'm just finding it amusing that, that, that as a communication strategy, they can't stop talking about the thing that they're doing worst at. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they're doing bad at a lot of things, but they're not doing... There's nothing that they're doing worse yeah. at than this one policy that they. It, it's like when I was a teenager, I kept. I really fancied this girl, and for two years, I kept on asking her out. She wasn't going to go out with me. Just Leave it. Kept go hammering away. on. And even if they have one drunken night, yeah, and managed to get with this policy, yeah. It's not going to solve any of their problems. It's well, not... This is as if teenage you had owned a load of newspapers and you'd got the monster on the front page. He still hasn't got out with her. He's still not going out with her. Yeah. More, more news page six to 12. So what have you got on the front pages, uh, Fergus? Uh, every single tabloid has a picture of a Christmas dinner on it. It's a giant Aldi turkey and an Aldi wraparound. Yeah, at least it's December. It would be funny if they'd done that in April. It would, yeah. Um, it is It is actually quite cheering to see a lovely Christmas dinner on a, on a day of misery. And then uh, once I go inside, the Daily Mirror uh, sticks with the turkey theme. Uh, Christmas cosmetic surgery fear. Uh, uh, that's uh, about a Turkish medical firm, uh, which is at the centre of some allegations of botched surgery. The Star, uh, this amused me, uh, They've got a headline about uh, Eric Ten Hag, of course, the Man United boss, the beleaguered Man United boss, has uh, apparently banned the Daily Star from uh, their training ground because they had put a story out that he doesn't didn't like. And the headline is, you big babies. <laughs> I'm, I am sort of disappointed that the star hasn't actually put Ten Hag in a nappy and given him a rattle because that's what they would ordinarily do. Yes, you're right. They There's a nice little that. inside blob as well, isn't there? What does it say there? It says, inside, how united are ace, never do anything wrong and never lose any games. Fantastic. <laughs> Boris Johnson goes before the COVID inquiry today in the most eagerly awaited testimony yet. Over the past few weeks, witnesses from Dominic Cummings and Jonathan Van Tam to hapless party hands merchant Matt Hancock have painted a picture of total dysfunction in number 10 during the pandemic, with the Prime Minister unable to make up his mind, unable to understand simple maths, and not even trying to herd the room full of cats that was his cabinet. But if the greased piglet is good at one thing, it is diverting blame. And this morning, the Bojo Press is giving it the full preemptive shaggy, i.e. it wasn't me. Um, Holly, the Telegraph has got a full deck here, hasn't it? It's got Johnson believes COVID inquiry should examine lockdown harms on the on the front page, i.e. look a squirrel. Uh, two pieces on the opinion pages. Philip Johnson, the COVID inquiry has already made up its mind on who to blame. Boris, perhaps because it is his fault. And good old Isabel Oakeshott has got Boris Johnson was a loner on COVID. Facing the inquiry, he has the chance to go his own way once more. 
Are we seeing the Vicky Pollard defence here? Are we seeing a case of yeah, but no, but yeah, but yeah, but no? I mean, pretty much, yeah. It's it's kind of incredible. Um, essentially, the the cover story is arguing that the, the true victim of COVID was maths. Uh, <laughs> like, I mean, but you know, it would have you know any number of deaths would have been a fair. I mean, it's not quite saying this, but I mean, in the context of hundreds of thousands of deaths, it's saying that actually the real tragedy here is that children are doing slightly worse at maths because they weren't going to school. Um, which is a big claim. Um, then we have, as we've mentioned, uh, Isabel Oakeshott um, describing Boris as this isolated loner. And I mean, it's fair to say there are a lot of photographs to testify that that's not the case. Yes, yeah, a picture of not being alone. Yeah, <laughs> Raising many a glass, um, uh, surrounded by his uh, colleagues, if not friends. Um, and yeah, he's basically, um, she's saying that he... he it, it, she's couched this as a defence, which is kind of hard to pass, but she's saying that... For in his eyes, the risk of over 65s dying of COVID was probably as big of big as the risk of falling downstairs. And we don't want to stop old people falling downstairs. We do want to stop old people yeah. from falling downstairs. And and also there are measures that we take in order to stop old people falling Bungalows. downstairs. Exactly. Um, and also interesting use of probably as though there were there's absolutely no data that we could possibly look at to, you know, measure yeah. the risk of stairs versus COVID. Also, it's not over sixty five falling downstairs. It's like over nineties. Over yeah. sixty five is kind of sprightly. Well this is um this come to another point um, that is being raised in Boris's defence, although, again, a lot of us would read this potentially as condemning Boris, but um, he told senior advisers that the COVID virus was just nature's way of dealing with old people um, and pointed out that the average uh, person who dies of COVID was in their 80s, and he, which he understood as sort of COVID, catch COVID and you live longer. So fundamentally misunderstanding yeah. causation, um, I think. Um, yeah, it, it's very, very strange. Um, she says, it would have taken almighty courage, phenomenal strength of character and an extraordinary appetite for risk for any prime minister to face down his chief medical officer, chief scientific officer, health secretary, public health England, the scientific pandemic influencer group, etc., etc. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, very, very, very brave to ignore all of those scientists and all of their annoying numbers. Yeah, and all, you know, it would take a brave man to just <laughs> yeah. ignore facts. We, what, we, what we really, really want in a national crisis is a prime minister, a leader with an extraordinary appetite for risk. That's yeah. what, we want a daredevil on the helm. That's, um, yeah. yeah. Fergus, it's, it's pretty wild that this paper is willing to undermine an inquiry that's supposed to derive lessons about what went wrong so that we know for next time that they will undermine it just to kind of excuse this discredited prime minister just because he's he's their mate. I mean, their defence is that all this stuff is hindsight, but it's not hindsight. It's what people were saying at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, the the, the build-up to this has gone on for a while now, hasn't it? Like, I, I've been reading in the Sunday Times for a while about how Boris has been prepping. He's been with his taxpayer-funded lawyers for a long time, supposedly knuckling down. When we actually watch him today in the inquiry, he's still going to be Boris Johnson. Yes. He will have actually, it doesn't matter how much they've briefed that he's um, read up on this and how prepared he is, he would have read two paragraphs on it and he will just Boris Johnson his way through it. Yeah. It also strikes me as really telling the his willingness to sit um, for many hours apparently with his barristers and be briefed on this inquiry versus his willingness to say attend a Cobra meeting. Yeah, in yeah. Light. Like his his capacity for study when it comes to defending himself is 
exponentially greater, it seems, than his capacity when the the fate of the country hangs in the balance. I know. There's also the remarkable story in the Times that he can't find his WhatsApps again. What are the chances? Poor Boris, the most unlucky. He just needs a tech guy to help him out. I know. It's such a shame that, um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I'd love to know, well, I, I suppose his Eton ed- education was free. But my God, if I was sending my child there and, and one of its most famous alumni is apparently unable to understand basic science, basic maths or work a phone, yeah. I, I would have questions to ask. Um, so well, I, he- I'm reminded of uh, Fat Tony in the, uh, in the Simpsons who says, what's a moida? I don't know. <laughs> What a miter is! I never heard of such a thing. Yeah, it's it's just it's a real shame. So even with access to the device, experts have apparently been unable to retrieve any of his messages from January thirty first to June seventh. Um, That's a very specific period, isn't, isn't it? it? Just yes. happens to be the period of of maximum panic. And it's, I mean, considering what actually ha- what has been retrieved from his WhatsApp messages. I mean, we've got him saying, you know, let the bodies. Actually, I can't remember if let the bodies pile high was that was that, that was overheard quote. in, that in was the overheard. cabinet, wasn't it? Yeah. But then we have uh, the orgy of narcissism. I think that might have been a message of his yeah. comings. Um, so considering what he was prepared to share, I, I can't even begin to imagine the messages that were unfortunately erased or mis. Um, misplaced yeah. <laughs> I'm going to watch it today yeah and I'm going to find it so frustrating and I, I it I'm bored with him now mm. I find I've I've enjoyed the journey yeah somewhat I've enjoyed as, the hating as politics as entertainment I've enjoyed it mm. but there were his do you remember his penultimate prime minister's questions on that day when he was getting all those resignations yeah and he was just so humbled that day and then as he left the chamber, someone said, bye, Boris. That should have been it. Mm. He should have gone straight into the furnace. Yes. And that would have been it. The eye points out that Johnson is expected to apologise for his mistakes and make recommendations to future prime ministers. Can we envisage future prime ministers sitting down with their leather-bound Boris Johnson dossier and going, let me see what this titan has got to advise me? I mean, potentially, based on the audience that Liz Truss had at the Tory conference, her you know her room was absolutely packed. Yeah. The appetite for absolutely bonkers but even, recommendations. But even the people who packed the room for Liz Truss don't want to hear what Boris Johnson's got to say. What's his advice going to be? Don't lie through your teeth. Don't disappear and try and sort out your divorce in the middle of a, of a pandemic. Well, I mean, I guess it depends what people want to learn from him. Do they want to learn how to be a good prime minister or do they want to learn how to become prime minister? Because he's very good at that. And, you know, judging by the kind of flexibility of principle within the Tory party, it's fair to say that most people's priorities might be simply to become more powerful, um, in which case I might listen to Boris Johnson if I had absolutely no morals. <laughs> I, think he, I, I think he might have some interesting things to say. It just comes with a fog of nonsense. Hi, I'm Katie Riley. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, Donald Trump became the first former U.S. president in history to face a criminal trial. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. This is not a trial. This is not an act of criminality. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. This is the story of his first week in court told through the transcripts. Listen now to the Slow Newscast wherever you get your podcasts.
In our new Healthy Age, stories about drink have become a staple for the papers and not just at Christmas. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Telegraph story in which they made a writer spend the day drinking like their parents' generation did. It was all very pink gin and cocktails before dinner. Now, the eye have done Can You Booze Like a Boomer in a more, perhaps, democratic fashion with Gen Z writer Keir Elise Green, 21, and the headline is A Week Imbibing Like a Boomer Aged Me 10 Years, which means she's only 31, which is absolutely fine, isn't it, really? Fergus, it's got a hell of an intro. Uh, yes, uh, it opens with, it's not even 11pm on a Saturday night, and I've spent most of the evening snub- slumped next to the toilet. Proper uh, Saturday night. I mean, she's passed out on two single vodka and lemonades. Yeah, I found the whole thing really discombobulating. Mm. You know, l- last night I was watching the football and I learned that Ross Barkley is 30 years old. And that made me feel old. And in this, I learned that she, 21 years old, her father is a millennial. That made me feel very, very old. Yeah. Yeah, apparently uh, one in five boomers drink more than the NHS recommended alcohol limit of 14 units. I'm surprised it's only one in five because 14 units is seven pints over a week. The kind of arc of this story is she starts on a Friday and has two drinks and ends up in bed at 10 o'clock feeling terrible. Uh, the next day, she decides to go to the gym and the sauna to sort this out, which is to me is actually more physically ruinous than just staying in the pub. Uh, and then she has to polish off the rest of her allocations on Saturday and therefore she feels terrible. And then she comes home and finds her dad saying he's had 10 pints and dancing around the kitchen at 3am. So it's kind of um, the sharp contrast between uh, you know the young people's censorious attitude, attitude towards the booze. I don't know. I hope she's not representative of your average Gen Zeta mm. because she really, really cannot hold her drink. Uh, it, it's worrying for the future, I think. Uh, yeah, the next day I felt like my body had aged 10 years and two days. She, she hardly drank anything. Uh, she, it says, I've only been to the pub once dur- before during peak hours. Mm-hmm. And she hated it. And she hated it. Which is fine because pubs are not for everybody. In fact, what makes pubs great is that they're not for everybody. And certain kinds of people don't want to go there. The kind of people who go to pubs are the kind of people who like pubs. I love, love pubs. I love and pubs. I need them to continue. Should we go to the pub right now? Not <laughs> I would podcast? happily go I, to the pub I would love right to. now. Yeah. Holly, did, did you identify with the story as a member of the young people? I'm Well, to be absolutely clear, I'm not a member of Gen Z. My brother is, though. Mm. And I have to say, he, he could certainly, he's 25, he could definitely drink more than two yeah. vodkas and lemonades. I can definitely testify to that. Mm. I, I think something, I'm not sure that she actually mentions this, I think something that's probably impacting um, young people's capacity for drink more than anything is just the cost. It's incredibly yes. expensive to have multiple drinks. I mean, this is genuinely like, what my brother says all the time, apart from the fact that he works like 16 hour days, yeah. on the rare occasions he can go to the pub, he's scraping together change for one pint. So I think that's relevant. I identify in the sense that I don't, I definitely don't drink as much as most of my peers. I go to the pub, but it, to see my friends primarily as opposed to like, I won't just go in order to drink. I could definitely stay standing on two vodka and lemonades. Yeah. Um, but 
I mean, yeah, I think if you're not used to drinking very much, you definitely feel it a lot more. I would de- I would say that going to the sauna immediately afterwards and dehydrating yourself further is not the move. Yes. If, if you want to shake off a hangover, drink like, drink some water. This is yeah. the opposite of what you should do. The um, let's get the writer to do something weird format is the hardy perennial. Like I said, the Telegraph did exactly this, but with a slightly posher person yeah. doing it. And they're all done through the, the uh, you know, kind of mirror of like, um, you know, Cocktails and 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 a, and a whiskey and cigars. This is this is standard pub stuff. You like go out and a, and a few pints. Years ago, it would have been presented as "haha, look at this weakling youngster," but now it's presented as this is a way of looking at our terrible drink problems in society, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's oh god, sorry, this is this is very grinchy of me, but like I've been looking into this recently, and apparently the number of units it takes to like. But the, the, basically, the limit, the safe limit of units before you start altering your neurochemistry to make you more anxious, m- less inhibited, more prone to bad habits is two units a week, <laughs> which is so basically we're kind of all. So, Fergus, should they flip this model and uh, instead of getting a Gen Z person to drink like a boomer, get a boomer to drink like a Gen Z person? You know, you're allowed one drink a fortnight. Have the have the DTs by lunchtime on a Saturday. <laughs> that would be a fun article, wouldn't it? Just yeah. putting a, a boomer through the misery of just having to drink I, tea at 11 o'clock on a Friday. Now, don't drink all week and make a TikTok. <laughs> this, this is going to sound so cool, but could that boomer also live in like a shared flat and yeah. <laughs> and and uh, make the same amount of money well, actually, and have the same amount of spare time? You know what? I am surprised. And perhaps one of the papers has done this, but I lived like a Gen Z person by 45-year-old feature writer is actually a really good piece. Yeah. And somebody should do it. It's much. It's a much more interesting piece, isn't it? Yes. Than I went and out, out and had two drinks. <laughs> there you go, the papers. You've been challenged. Commission that feature and we'll talk about it when you do it. Now, you might be able to expose a Love Rat Premiership ace in a steamy clinch. You might have a knack for describing Kate Middleton's knees in terms that would make the authors of the Karma Sutra tell you to go and stand on a cold stone floor. But if you can't write a headline, then you're just a waste of space in the industry formerly known as Fleet Street. Headlines are the lifeblood of the press, and we like to big up the best ones. The triumphs of the sub-editor's art. Holly, what are the best headlines you've got today? Well, The Sun is uh, running with a story about the Girls Aloud comeback, um, which I think we're all extremely excited for. Um, the reunion has already been a huge hit. More than 200,000 tickets sold. That's really impressive. That's quite a lot. That's so And our producer, tickets. Liam, bought at least half of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they've been, yeah, apparently they've been just inundated with offers. You know, TV is interested. I mean... Honestly, like this, this would be such welcome return to a more innocent time, as far yes. as I'm concerned. Anyway, so they're basically just being pummeled with cash. The headline is: "It's the sound of the Wonga ground." That's fantastic. That's I, fun. I take my hat off to yeah. that one, right? And there's more in the sun. The sun, they, they are very good at them. For all, whatever else you say about them, they're very, <laughs> very good at the headlines. Oh, this is actually this is also really fun. Um, so a couple have just spent one and a half grand on a wedding. I'm so in favour of that, by the way. Yeah, can't think of anything more stressful than an expensive wedding uh, by having a reception at TGI Fridays ooh, and telling guests <laughs> to pay for their own meals? Yeah. I mean, okay, that ouch, ouch. Um, <laughs> Not made of money. <laughs> the headline is TGI do. That's pretty good. <laughs> really, really it's, good. Because it's got a double meaning, TGI do, but also it's a do at TGI. It is. Very well done, the sun. Nice. Top love point. At fir- love at first bite, it mm. says. Ah, very good. Cute. Fergus, what have we got? You've got the two from the star. Yes, uh, there's uh, a picture of Ronnie O'Sullivan standing at a 
bus stop smoking a fag. Mm-hmm. And the headline is, does the 147 stop here? Snooker joke there. Very good. I like that. Yes. And uh, there's another story about apparently Australia is trying to recruit British builders. It's offering them a six hundred, uh, a six thousand pound sweetener to get them over there. And the headline is Oswedersane. One there for people who can remember the TV drama from 1982. There for one for the young people. Now, it wouldn't be Christmas without a story about heartbroken tots at a terrible winter wonderland visitor centre with a dog in reindeer ears and Santa smoking fags with the elves. This year, Walsall has gone early in the race for terrible decorations with a very, very stark and undecorated tree. The star has furious residents blast Scrooge Council for putting up a shabby Christmas tree. And the Telegraph has, is this the worst Christmas display in Britain? You haven't been to my house. Fergus, what's going on here? And, and is it really so bad? Is it so bad? I think it looks all right. You know, it's it's <laughs> our natural. It's, just it, a tr- it's, like a, it's like a, this is me, tree. It's just a nice big tree. Hmm. Maybe um, other councils will be following suit. It, yes, it's, it doesn't have any lights or decorations on it. Um, I think there's worse council. Uh, there's, there's worse... Uh, Christmas displays on in Britain, I'm sure. The, well, the, the search is on, and we've only got a couple of weeks before Christmas to find it. I mean, I, the, sta- the Star reports that half-dead Christmas tree with barely any lights on has rattled residents. There's no lights on it. One councillor says shabby trees isn't quite the festive spirit Walsall residents deserved. I'm tempted to uh, take a picture of the contents of my toilet bowl. And... <laughs> is this the worst Christmas display in Britain? <laughs> By the way, listeners in Walsall do get in touch and let us know what you think. The thing is, though, it's all well and good going, oh, look at this terrible thing, isn't it? Ooh, Scrooge Council. Walsall Council has to save 18 million quid. What do you want them to do? Do you want them to find more libraries to close? Do you want them to shut down more playgrounds and sell the swings for firewood? It's like the behind this is, you know, a story of underfunding the town councils. But is there anything better to spend your money on than the smile on a child's face? There is a fantastic standard angry local person quote in, in the Telegraph. It's just the perfect example of Walsall, says Michael Harper, 69. It shows you, shows you what's happened to Walsall. They might as well not have put up a Christmas tree at all. And, no, hands off Walsall. Be proud of Walsall, Michael, you bloody misery. Meanwhile, the star has an uplifting, heartwarming story. Glam Butcher has ditched her gym membership as she stays fit hauling giant joints of meat. Fergus, what's <laughs> happening here? Uh, yes, basically, uh, the headline is Butcher give, Gave Jim the Chop, <laughs> a, a glam butcher, which is basically a woman who wears makeup, <laughs> uh, has swapped the nine to five office grind as a housing support officer for an apron and cleaver. And, uh, she doesn't now, mince her words. Yeah, now she says she's very fit. Pig carcasses were heavy to begin with, but I'm used to it now. I can carry a lamb. And I can carry a pig. The beef is a bit more difficult. <laughs> I've got to be honest, carrying a lamb is not difficult. I, I've got form in this game when I was a kid. Carrying a lamb is not. It's like carrying a small child. Carrying a four of beef will kill you. It's huge. And she's doing it in the picture, in the very impressive picture. She's carting around a giant chunk of beef. And this is from because you're from a family of butchers, yes, right? I, this is like when Sadiq Khan says, did you know my dad was a bus driver? This is me in butcher shops. But yeah, I, I, it's a, it is a full-page story two giant pictures of the glamorous butcher lady and my spirits were kind of raised by this a little bit 
Yeah, yeah, it's just it's good to know that for everything terrible going on in the world, there's still people out there cutting up dead carcasses. <laughs> However, she is wearing Crocs at a butcher's shop, which is to be as a health and safety hazard of huge measure. She's going to fall over and she's going to end up impaling herself. I, feel, I don't know if anyone remembers, but I, I couldn't help. I kept on thinking of that bit in the day to day where Steve Coogan. Yeah. Says I, I like meat. I like working with meat. I like working with I, meat. I feel a lot happier here working with meat. Holly, did you see this and think I'm going to totally change my exercise regime? I'm going to go work down the butchers, carting around piles of, you know, chops. <laughs> I did not. Um, <laughs> um, the, the wonderful thing about weights is they don't leave blood on your clothes. Um, not, a, not usually, no. But I mean, like, good for her though. I, I like if if my day to day job involved any exercise, I, I, that would be a bonus. Unfortunately, it really, really doesn't. I just sit behind my laptop, staring at the screen. Um, well, but yeah, lifting lifting heavy things makes you fit. Well, Huge news. Justine Fulton, 32, sounds like a right character. Uh, everything about me is fake. I have lash extensions and hair extensions. I thought I think some people have perceptions about it, but my lashes aren't going to stop me from cutting up meat. <laughs> stop me or I will kill again. <laughs> I mean, I've, yeah, good for her. But I think the heaviest thing I've ever lifted is my boyfriend, who is genuinely like a dying star. He's like much, much heavier than he yeah. would look. And um, for 50p once um, on a bet, I, I lifted him. I think he was about 13 or 14 stone at the time. Good God. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't fancy my chances with a cow. <laughs> You've been listening to Britain's Strongest Woman. Yeah. Are butchers famous for being really fit? Well, the dogs are. And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. We hope you've enjoyed listening to it. And if you have, why not help us keep carping on from the sidelines of daily journalism by joining the Paper Cuts Supporters Club? We are a plucky independent outfit with no deep-pocketed media mogul to fall back on. And to keep going, we depend on generous listeners like you to chip in a few quid. Our newspaper bill alone is about £600 a month. So if you think about it, you're also helping to support a healthy independent press too. Just follow the link in the show notes. For as little as £3 a month, you can get ad-free shows, extended editions, paper cuts, t-shirts, mugs, and more. And supporters get a shout-out from our panel, too. Here is a salute to our latest backers. Carmen Spencer, you light up our lives. You are the wind beneath our wings, Sally Gray. <laughs> and you've given us a reason to get up in the morning, quite literally, Saad Hossein. And that's the end of the show. Thank you, Holly. Thank you, Fergus. Thank you. We'll see you next time. I've been Andrew Harrison, and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when a runaway kangaroo in Canada punched a police officer in the face while evading the law. You know what they say? ACAB, all kangaroos are bastards. See you tomorrow. Paper Cuts was presented by Podmasters Group Editor, Andrew Harrison, with Holly Thomas and Fergus Craig. The executive producer was Martin Boytosh. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis. And the producers were Liam Tate, Adam Wright, and me, Alex Reese. Socials by Jess Harpin. Art direction by James Parrott and Modern Toss. Music by Simon Williams. Paper Cuts is a Podmasters production. <laughs>